0: So Money episode seven forty eight. Sydney Torres, star of the CNBC show The Deed.
1: You're listening to So Money with award winning money guru Farnoosh Torabi. Each day, get a thirty minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself.
0: Is flipping real estate still a thing? Welcome to So Money, everyone. I'm your host, Farnish Tarabi. Our guest today is Sydney Torres, and you may know him as the star of CNBC's hot show, The Deed. Sydney is a self-described serial entrepreneur, a real estate expert, house flipper, and investor. And over the last 15 years, he's developed over $250 million in commercial and residential real estate. He is in his early 40s, people, getting a head start on his empire. He got his start in his home city of New Orleans, where he made his first investment with just a $40,000 loan from his grandmother on the hit TV show, The Deed, now in season two, Sydney helps rescue other house flippers from financial ruin. And he continues to improve the beautiful city of New Orleans. We talk about that time he asked his grandma for that $40,000 loan. What did she say? Advice for first-time homebuyers, the keys to flipping a home successfully. Now, I have to admit, I'm not a huge fan of this, but if Sydney's on the call, you're gonna ask me about house flipping. And finally, a new app. That Sydney's created to help reduce crime in Louisiana. Here we go. Here is Sydney Torres. Sydney Torres, welcome to So Money. It's great to finally connect with you. I've been watching your show on CNBC and really excited that you guys are now doing season two. Tell me all about the new season.
1: Thank you for having me. That's of course. Thank you for having me on. And um, I appreciate that. Uh, Yes, I um, really I'm really excited about it. Season two is everything we learned on season one, what to do, what not to do. And I think that, you know, people who didn't see season one, uh, season two is more inspirational. We have we talk about design, uh, financial uh, literacy. We we talk about value engineering. Uh, There's design elements. But the human element is so much better this season than last because we really are changing people's lives by helping them financially and teaching them financial literacy. And we use the house as is the tool to to you know basically bridge from where they are to what their life can look like if they do it right. And so it's a cool thing to be able to to demonstrate on on, on TV for people to watch and to see, wow, if that person can do it. I have hope of possibly doing it if I find a mentor or a hard money lender in my neighborhood or in my community. And so I think people can relate. And it's not just about house flipping. It's also about your first time home buy. You know, what mm-hmm. are the things you do? What are the first six steps that you do? So it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's again, there's a lot more takeaways and, um, and I, I'm really excited about it. I put my heart and soul into this season.
0: I know you have. Now, the, the climate out there in the world when it comes to real estate has really changed over the last 10 years. You know, I think about uh, during the recession, everybody was losing their homes and in the, in the aftermath of that, there was this real bitterness and um, almost like skepticism around really being able to create wealth through real estate. I don't know if a show like The Deed would have been Received well in 2009 or 2010. So, in some ways, do you feel like we're now more ready for, you know, sort of like learning this again and, and diving in? In some ways, I feel like the skepticism is still there. So, how do you address that in the show?
1: Well, I mean, you're talking to someone who went through that. I mean, at the time, when that happened, you know, I started my career back in in 1998. And um, I remember, you know, being in debt leveraged as most real estate developers are and buying property and, and not, you know, watching when September 11th happened and people stopped flying, they were scared to do anything. And then, you know, 2008, 9 and 10 hit. And I just, again, I've been through some tough times when Hurricane Katrina hit. So, I know what it's like to be in that market when everything dries up and it's, you know, the banks are reappraising your properties and they're asking for you to pay down the debt when you don't have the cash to do it. And and so at those times, I don't think it would have been received as well. And I think people at the time were just trying to survive. I think now with the market the way it is and where we are as far as, you know, interest rates and, and looking to see all this opportunity out there, it's gotten a lot harder to find good deals to put under contract and to develop, but there's still opportunity out there. You just got to do more homework and you've got you've to have good mentors around you to help you and guide you through that process. But I think in today's world, in today's market, I think the real estate market is hot. I think you know, it's, it's a great opportunity to create wealth um even if it's your first time home purchase it's not just about flipping that's what's cool about season 2 of the deed on CNBC it's it's really it it teaches you for your first time home purchase how do you how do you get in make a purchase and and build your equity into your purchase on how you negotiate your first time home buy so it's not just about house flipping it also what we do in our show we also teach for first time home buyers so that's why I think it's really good to tune in and you can learn a lot by my experience over the years and the flippers who are coming to me on the mistakes that they've made and, and, and to see what not to do. And that's what I think is really good about this season.
0: What are the most common mistakes? You talk about the importance of having a mentor and I'm sure you have come across some repeat mistakes. So what's the most popular
1: well, I mean, people get overly excited when they're looking at real estate. I mean, you you know, if you're looking for your first home, you you get overly excited because maybe you've been living in an apartment and you can't wait to have a new space that's yours and you can, you know, create your own kind of look and feel. And so if, if you look at it from that standpoint or even a flipping standpoint, when you're looking to kind of buy something because you feel that it's the right decision and you're getting a good feel on it but you're you're getting emotional about it on what color you're going to paint it or what kind of marble you're going to put in the bathroom or granite countertops i think <laughs> the biggest mistake i see people make is they get emotionally involved in the in the process of looking to purchase whether it's a flip whether it's a first home buy and you always need to keep at the forefront the comp set you always need to look to see what are the comp showing what are other houses condos selling for in the area in which I want to purchase to live in or to flip. And always make sure that you do a lot of house tours on your competition. You want to make sure that you understand what finishes they're doing and what's selling fast. And it's very easy to do. Take some time, but you need to make sure you do that. Because at the end of the day, I always tell people, whether it's a flip or a first time home purchase, you make your money on the buy. When you buy, when you negotiate, when you do your homework, you get all the proper bids and and you follow the directions of checking the comps and talking to all the experts, you make your money on the buy, you collect your money when you sell. And that is something that I tell my first-time flippers or even friends who are buying their first home. You want to negotiate a deal where you build equity in. On the purchase, and not trying to think, oh well, I have a brother who's a contractor, and you know what, he can renovate it for less than the other guy that can renovate it, and and I have a, uh, another friend who's a who's a you know electrician, and I, that is the wrong way to approach it. I've seen that happen. Those are big mistakes made when people do that. They get emotionally invested. They think they can pay a little bit more for the property, and they think that they can renovate it for less because they have friends or family that are in the business, and it's absolutely the wrong way to look at it. That's why it's so important to surround yourself with people that have been through it. Make sure you get a good mom and pop architect with a fixed fee that can hold your hand through the process. Because a lot of times that's another mistake people make. They hire a friend who's a contractor, and that contractor is not going to be watching out for every little thing to protect to make sure that you don't have any change orders or any extra costs. You want an architect who can detail out your specs to make sure that you have every type of fixture, finishes, colors, uh, receptacles, what kind of fan you're going to use, landscaping. You need to make sure you detail all that stuff out on the front end before you actually buy the house. So it's all about doing your homework. It's all about surrounding yourself with the right people and constantly studying the market. That's how you can be successful in this business.
0: And being obsessive about it, it sounds like just hearing you talk, mm. like really paying attention to the details and doing the research. This is not a get rich quick scheme. It never really was. Although I think, uh, it's, it's been marketed as that. You know, I think people, uh, think like, especially in the 2006, 2007 era, it, there definitely were a lot of like quote unquote steals, but then, you know, we saw how that worked out. Um, this is I was not, ve-
1: yeah this- I was very yeah I was very involved in that time very involved and I remember people getting financing that couldn't even afford to to buy to get financing for for a, for a nice suit and they were getting they were getting money was being lent to them you know at at, at a at a high interest rate and and people were just giving out money to people without that, that knew they would never be able to pay it back. I was I remember that, and that's why we got into the situation we got into in, in those years.
0: Did you ever screw up when it came to you know flipping or mis- made miscalculations and you paid for it?
1: Absolutely. I mean, I think you know falling down is what you have to do in order to succeed in this business. The thing is, in the keto, it is is that. Making sure that when you fall, you're falling on the ground and not off of a cliff. <laughs> and, and that is, that is the difference between having good people around you that can mentor you. And again, like I said, not just for a flip, but also for a first time home purchase or a first time condo purchase. You want to make sure you have the right people around you. You want to ask a thousand opinions. You always want to take that in and then make sure that you rely on the information that you've gathered and key people who have been successful in this business. It doesn't have to be me on a TV show. I mean, I've seen so many people go and they pay for these seminars. I have one episode of the deed that's actually going to be the last episode that airs in a, a month and a half from now um, where they went to a seminar And they paid, and it's one of the seminars that were on a TV show, and they paid $32,000 for the two of them to go to Vegas on this seminar and take these classes. And everything they learned in those classes and those seminars, I had to basically brainwash them because it was everything that you don't do when you're getting into this business. And, Mm. you know, to me, I don't believe in those seminars. I think that you really can get the information without paying for it within your town that you live in, where you grew up, or where your family lives, there's always someone that if you buy them a cup of coffee, or even if you buy and let them know that you might buy real estate from them, that will spend the time with you to get you the information you need. And especially today, when I started in 1998, they didn't have all this online, you know, Zillow and realtor.com and all these different websites where you can actually pull information and and kind of study some of the stuff yourself to get an idea of what's going on in the area that you want to build or buy in or live in. So I think it's important to make sure that you uh, understand that those seminars are not always the right thing to do.
0: You got your start in the late 90s in real estate, a really touching story of rebuilding New Orleans, which is near and dear to you. Um, that must have been super emotional. Um, can you take us to that time and place, and and what were the pulls that were that were bringing you in, that were drawing you in?
1: Well, I, I struggled in school coming up. You know, I, I graduated out of high school. I, w- I was dyslexic, and back in the in the days when I was going to school, you know, they looked at it as he wasn't smart or he was stupid, or you know, he was in the smaller class. And I remember going to school and being in that smaller class, being around other people, going to the bigger class and, you know, getting, going through school. And then I went to a week at, to college. I went to school with college for a week and I decided that wasn't for me. So I realized I was going to have to do some kind of physical labor or something that was in, you know, whether working as a, you know, in the garbage business or in the construction business or, you know, street work or figuring out what I was going to do. And, but at the time I had this, Passion for music and wanted to be in the music business, so I got a job working for a radio station, doing like graveyard shifts, working at the radio station and and probably two listeners at the time when I, when I would be on listening and And within like a month or two, I got a job working for Lenny Kravitz. I went on the road for a year and a half, touring with him as an assistant, and I got really mixed up in the in the in the rock and roll world, started doing drugs, got involved with heroin and at a very young age my life just not only was I struggling trying to figure out what I was going to do but I had issues with my personal life and uh, I got fired and I think that was the best thing that ever happened I mean Lenny and I are still great friends today and um, and I, I tell you if I wouldn't have went through that and he wouldn't have fired me I, I don't think I'd be where I am today because that pushed me to come home sober up and get a job working at a construction company sweeping the floor. I used to clean up every job site when they were finished to get them ready to turn over to the owner. And I realized that when I got into that business, I was like, man, I love taking these old 200-year-old buildings and houses and turning them around and bringing them back to the original look. And it was just so rewarding for me. And I found my passion. And I was like, this is something that I really love. And I ended up working harder and harder and i got a job you know i moved up as a foreman then i got my general contractor's license and then i, I got my grandmother to co-sign a forty thousand dollar line of credit uh, in 1998 and i bought my first fixer-upper and i flipped that and that was the end of the story because from there from 1998 to 2005 i developed over a 100 million in real estate and um and then got involved in after katrina other businesses. I got in the garbage business, which I built the largest waste hauling business in the state of Louisiana after Katrina in seven years. And I sold that to a public company. But all of that happened because I got into real estate. Real estate gave me the cash and the assets to be able to leverage to do other businesses to not just benefit me, but also to help my city. Because by doing what I did after Katrina, I was the first one to get the streets back open with cleaning up and and helping get that organized. I didn't think I was even going to start a garbage business and it ended up being, you know, all these trucks and employed 500 employees, 150 trucks. And I built this company up and I sold it to a a larger publicly traded company, but I wouldn't have been able to do that if it wasn't for real estate. And so that's why I say that real estate is the quickest way to build wealth if you do it right. That's what I say all the time.
0: You borrowed $40,000 from grandma.
1: Grandma, 98 years old. She was at the premiere last Wednesday. She, such a, such a great feeling to have her sitting there watching season 2 of The Deed.
0: So, what was that conversation like? And was it an immediate yes or did you require did it require some convincing?
1: Are you kidding me? Immediate yes. She's she's an Italian, a little Italian, ninety-eight year old woman who's uh, back in the day when she when she when I went to her, she's the type of person. She's a hard worker. She worked all the way up until she was ninety. Um, and she she told me she says, "I'm not doing this." She says, "I want ninety days. You're going to go out there and you're if you're still passionate like you are right now, in ninety days I will consider it." She goes. I want you to present something to me once a week. I want you to go look at five to six houses once a week. And, and what she was doing was she was trying me to make sure that I was really passionate about it, that I really wanted to be in this type of business. And, you know, I'm glad she did that because that's what I do now for people who come to me. I tell them, yes, you you like the things that I have. You like, you know, where I am financially, and you see all these things, but you don't realize how hard it is to get to where I am today. And I think that I'm going to do the same thing my grandmother did to me, go out there and continue to present, but I'm not ready to fund a deal with you right now until I know that you're going to be passionate about this in 90 to 120 days. So in one of our episodes, we have a 20, we have a 21 year old kid who is, in law school. He is uh, got his real estate license and he came to me to do a flip. And it was very similar. We got into the first deal and he's already trying to buy more deals. And I told him, I said, slow your roll. I said, you're going to wait. We're going to finish this one project and then we'll decide if we do more. And just so you know, we're on our second second deal going into our third deal next week outside of the show because he took my advice He learned the ropes and now he's overseeing the jobs himself and I'm helping him finance the deal. I'm partners with him on the deal. And it's just a, it's very rewarding for me. I mean, I can go build a hotel in the Bahamas like I did with the cove, turn around, flip it, sell it, make a bunch of money. And, you know, but to me, I get so much more joy out of paying it forward and helping other people, you know, get to the potential where maybe one day they'll be where I am financially and and be able to help other people, uh finance their their dreams and their goals so that's the idea is trying to help improve communities by paying it forward and not relying on city bonds and government you know uh loans and all this other stuff to do it really using people within the community to help each other out to get them on a on a in the you know on a platform that they can do the same for other people
0: Sydney, what is your greatest money memory as a kid growing up? Uh, we asked this of a lot of our guests, and it's um, it's interesting. You know, fifty percent of families, according to a new survey by Chase Slate, our sponsor, found that fifty percent of families talk to their kids about money. And I'm just curious to know a little bit about your financial upbringing as a kid. Like, who taught? Because you're savvy, you're hot, hu- you're a hustler for sure, but. But part of what's your what makes you successful is that you can also do the math well because that's a huge part of being a success in real estate and so what was it about your childhood maybe that that created that this this uh that, that laid the the sorry planted the seeds
1: oh yeah like the, the foundation um you know i I tell you it's it's really interesting because I, and i'm not I don't wanna you know basically say but but I had a family member that was very um would always borrow money uh was was always you know um in debt and and would make money but then would go right back in debt and growing up, I watched that and i and i and I remember at times my mom, you know I would get one of my parents would tell me you know. You know, we might have to move. We, you know, we might have to move to a, an apartment. Um, and and I remember being having being very stressed out about the fact that, um, you know, one of my parents was always in a position of taking risk, but in a in a way that would, would 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 jeopardize certain things with family. And and so I remember that very well. And I remember, you know, growing up thinking to myself, I never want to be in that position. Um, I want to make sure that. Whatever I do, I always make sure that I have a certain amount of cash to debt. Um, and, and remember, just like I was dyslexic, I struggled in school even with math. And and so you can imagine with financing, it was it was just kind of like a memory of like I don't want to be in debt. I don't want to be over leveraged. I don't want to be stressed out to have nice things, a nice car, um, you know, uh, any any vacation place or anything like that where I have a lot of debt. I'm not buying. a fancy car unless I have the cash to pay for it and not borrow the money to do it. I'm not doing a vacation home or a second home unless I can pay cash to do it. And so I've established those guidelines and rules in my life. And I think that's what's really helped me. You know, when I say about teaching financial literacy, it's because I went through it firsthand and I remember the things that I didn't want to do and didn't want to be like. And I think that's what... Put me in the position where I am today, where I'm. I get if I see a certain amount of debt to cash ratio and it's off, I get very nervous, um, and I make sure of that that I don't have to go out and do that. And I'm very fortunate because a lot of people, especially developers, you know, they're always property rich and cash poor. um, Because I because I develop other businesses in my career through real estate, like the garbage company, and developing a crime app to help the city of New Orleans similar to Uber of police. It was featured in the New York Times. Yeah,
0: tell me about um, that. Those I wonder, are the types of bi- Yeah, no, I'm, I'm sorry well, to interrupt I, you, but that's so I, fascinating. I, I want to know about this really quick. Tell me about this app.
1: I, I will. And, and I just want to finish this last point. The point is, is that I wouldn't have been able to do the garbage company that put me in a position to be able to pay off all my debt and have the cash you know, if I wouldn't have been able to, you know, have real estate as the, the the primary way of, you know, using those assets to sell it off. The same thing with New Orleans, when the crime was at an all time high a few years ago, the mayor at the time was telling everybody, Oh, well, he's not the mayor anymore, but he was telling everybody oh we don't have enough money to have and pay police officers so we just kind of have to deal with the crime and and what's going on in the city of new orleans and i said that's that's unacceptable i said we need to we need to deal with it and and he said tell city to put his money where his mouth is and he got on tv and and said that and at the time i was building the cove resort in the Bahamas. And, and so I wasn't really here, but my mother was telling me about all the issues they were having. And then my house got broken into. So I said, okay, if you, if you let me, I will come up with something to help police the area. So what I did was I designed this app similar to Uber, but for police officers and for citizens. So every citizen in New Orleans has on this, the app on their phone. Whereas if they see suspicious activity or they 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 you know they get into an accident or their house gets broken or any kind of emergency, they can hit this button on their phone and it's similar to Uber. It goes to the closest police officer. They can send a picture and they don't have to wait around for the police officer to come. They have all their contact information when it sends out and It allows for the police to get there within within minutes and it's a great tool so we dropped crime by 45 percent in the city of new orleans and what happened from that creation um, now i'm using it in other areas throughout the state of louisiana and we're talking with big companies right now that want to integrate it into their other police radios and different things like that. So it's really taken off, and it's a really cool app. And um, we were featured in the New York Times, and we were also on on uh, Lester Holt on NBC Nightly News, and so we had a lot of coverage on it. And it really, it's really doing well. So I'm excited about the Crime App. It's called the Task Force App.
0: Wow. What What about 911 though? Is that just a waste of time in in
1: New Orleans? Nine. Yeah well 911 in general is very difficult when you call 911 I mean everywhere is 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 different but you know a lot of times you'll get operators who aren't even from the area and they're you're trying to explain to them what street you're on or you know what's your situation and it's so frustrating a lot of people don't even really use you know they they don't even you know when they see suspicious activity sometimes it, unless if it's an emergency they'll pick it up 911 and call but like Suspicious activity or being proactive, sending photographs of something that they see that that could be a potential crime. It's like the old broken window theory. Um, You you know, they don't really do that because it's difficult with 911 to explain all this stuff. What's cool about the app, and because everybody uses mobile phones now, you just submit a – you submit a – take a picture. You hit submit, and they have your information, and you you go on. It's just an easier way to, to report things.
0: Before we let you go, I read an article recently on cnbc.com where you're just r- talking about how it, location is and always will be the most important aspect of picking a house and a lot of our listeners are first-time home buyers, prospective host first-time buyers. So I have to ask you, can you give us some specific great locations that are that are ripe for purchasing?
1: There's an article right now on CNBC that just went out today that is it, it's a video actually that 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 where I'm talking about how to pick a location, and what I always say is that when you are looking to buy your first home or your first condo or your first flip, what you want to do is spend a lot of time. What you want to do is spend a lot of time in that location, in that location that you think you want to live in. You want to check out the streets, making sure to see if there's a lot of potholes. Are the are the new is the neutral ground? Are they trimming the trees? Um, how is the drainage when it rains? Um, looking to see are there any schools, grocery stores? Uh, the, these are the things that you want to look for because what happens when you see this and you start to see like the streets are great, the trees are trimmed, the grass is cut, um, the city is really paying attention to these areas because they see that the 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 dollar home the hot the dollar the per square foot prices are going up and they see the values in this area from tax dollars are going up that is a sign and those are signs that you need to look for when picking your area to decide where you want to live because what happens when you're in those areas sometimes you might be priced out of your budget because it is so high-end where everything the city's very paying a lot of attention to these areas the streets are perfect the drainage is great You've got stores, everything's great in the neighborhood. Sometimes you need to go if you want to get a better deal, you want to go a little bit further away from that and you, and it's very easy to check out. And when you, when you, when you're checking it out and you're spending time in those areas, you want to be in between that really nice area where everything's perfect and in between where the really bad area is and it, and what I call that is you've got the the sweet spot it's called the sweet spot. You've got the hot spot and the fringe. And you always want to be like right in the middle in the sweet spot. And the reason I say that is because you have so much more opportunity for your equity to grow within your asset, within your real estate, within your first home purchase. If you buy in an area that's in between that really hot spot, that really, you know, hot spot and and not too close to the fringe because you got to be careful for crime and, and the city's not paying a lot of attention to it. You want to be like right in the middle. So you want it's very easy to do. Um to look at these different things like the streets, the neutral ground, to see if there's street lights burnt out or are they being replaced. Those, That's kind of how I use and I tell my investees when you're looking for your first purchase or your first flip. You want to make sure that you're in between the hot spot and the fringe and that's the sweet spot. And that's one of the things that I talk about on this show all the time.
0: Can you name certain towns or cities that you feel like there's a lot of opportunities still?
1: There, you know, I say all the time because I develop in the Bahamas, I develop in New Orleans, I develop in Florida. Um, there's always, you know, areas within every town where there's a sweet spot. The key is that it, you've really got to look for that. I mean, it really depends on what your budget is. I mean, like at the end of the day, if you're going to try to live in Manhattan or Soho, you know, or if you move and you're in L.A. and, and there, you know, you want to be in Malibu or you want to, you know, you, you've got to understand what is your budget and then you, you basically take the the all-in budget that you have, meaning that the purchase price, if you're going to redo your kitchen, your bathroom, whatever you're going to do, you want to make sure that you're all in budget. You need to make sure that you can go online with all these different real estate sites like Zillow, Realtor.com. You can plug in that, that number and, or you can have that mu- number in your mind. And you go online and you look to see what fits that area, whether you're in New York, whether you're in Chicago, whether you're in L.A., And from that point, you need to go and look. You need to physically go and look in those neighborhoods. So to answer your question, I believe in every state, there's sweet spots. And sometimes you might be the, the, I don't want to say pioneer, but you might in some areas be a pioneer. But if you do it right and you have the right mentors around you, you can build instant equity into your first home purchase. And that's where you want to be to make sure that at the end of the day, you're not upside down on your first home.
0: And of course, watch the deed to learn more about how to do this successfully. Sydney Torres, thank you so much for joining us. Congrats on the new season and all of your latest ventures, The Cove. Uh, What is the app called again?
1: It's called a a Task Force app. It's the Task Force app. It's the FQ Task Force app.
0: All right. Awesome. Congrats again. And thanks for coming on.
1: Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it.
0: You can watch Sydney on the new season of The Deed on CNBC Wednesdays at 10 p.m. Eastern and Pacific. You can also follow him on Twitter at SydneyDTorresIV. If you missed any of this, just head over to somoneypodcast.com where you can click on Ask Farnoosh and you can send me a question for the Friday episodes or suggest co-hosting with me. Love to co-host with listeners. And if you want to follow me on the go, head over to Instagram, follow me there. And if you have a question too, direct message me there. A lot of you know I've been uh, actively responding on Instagram. It's probably the easiest and best way to reach me when it's just the middle of the day and you've got a burning money question and you don't want to wait till Friday. Hit me up on Instagram. Thanks for tuning in everyone. And I hope your day is so money.